turning this evening to the Gospel of John chapter 14 and verse 6. John chapter 14 verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Just think of those words. I am the truth. Well, it's been said many times down the centuries that for Christ to say, I am the truth, is either the most arrogant statement that was ever made or he is divine and he is God. It's one or the other. There's nothing between those two. For someone to stand and to say, I am the truth, that is a massive statement and claim. Could it be true? Is it true? Was he arrogant? A mere man? Astonishingly arrogant. Or was he the incarnate God, second person of the Godhead, who'd come to be the saviour of the world. You know, I'm sure, that at his Roman trial, Pontius Pilate asked the question, what is truth? But he asked it scornfully, as though truth was something that couldn't be found and couldn't be known and was absurd to speak about. What is truth? But it's a valid question. What is truth? How do we define truth or the truth? The dictionary definition of truth, well, it's helpful up to a point. It's that which is honest. Simply that. True in that sense. But as you know, there is a far deeper and more profound meaning to the term truth. What is truth? Some people say truth can be defined as all the facts in the world, all events, all explanations that can be borne out and proved, everything which is factual, all the facts, past, present, and future, that's truth. Others say that's an impossible definition. Definitions vary wildly. The truth, according to some, is an impossible concept. It's just a narrative invented by oppressive forces or rulers in society how they want the world to look in their efforts to subdue or control a population or a people. So there's a narrative invented which will control everyone and keep everyone quiet. A cynical view of truth. There's a naive view of truth. Truth is what most people think is true. 
But that's very naive as you appreciate and you realize what is truth. Well, let's go for the moment with facts. All material facts. Ah, but there's a problem. What facts are we talking about? Facts relating to this material world? Is that truth? Yes, people will say. If you could only know them and have all the correct explanations and facts revealed to you, that is truth. What about the spiritual world? What about eternal things, immaterial things, things that cannot be seen and examined by human beings? Is that to be discounted? Is that not part of the truth? Well, of course it is. If you want the truth, the purpose of life, the meaning of everything, the significance of everything, you've got to go beyond the material and the visible, the tangible. You've got to look at the eternal and the spiritual. Now we're living in an age where people don't want to do that. They want the truth without the spiritual. They want truth to be defined as something without God, an explanation of the world and how it came about, and human beings, and how we came about, which excludes any possibility of a God, a creator, a designer, so that is excluded. But the result of this kind of inquiry couldn't possibly be truth because it's left out the immaterial, the spiritual, and the eternal. That alas, is going on wholesale today. Science is wonderful. I'm not a scientist, but science is wonderful. And today, as never before, things are uncovered and explored and investigated that in, to the extent non-scientists can understand them are marvelous. Systems so intricate and involved and complex, wonderful things are found and discovered. And many of these things can be utilized wonderfully through technology and applied to living and comfort and helps for the human race. God has given us all things richly to enjoy, to explore and to enjoy. <clears throat> but if you start minutely looking at scientific facts in order to find an explanation for origins and how it came about and so on, then you're into the realm of pure speculation and theory. Because you're excluding the divine, the creator, the designer. Here we are. The world looks as though it's been designed. Oh, there's a lot which is chaotic and haphazard due to the fall of man, we would say. But on the other hand, there's so much which is so intricate and so wonderful 
still being explored, ever yielding up its secrets, you cannot really explain all the evidence of design without a creator, without a mind, without a designer. It's quite impossible. Truth, what is truth? Can it be truth if it excludes the eternal and the spiritual? That's the challenge. Well, Christ said, I am the truth, by which he means, I am, among other things, the reason. I am the reason for the existence of the world. I am the reason for the perpetuation of the world. Just think of it, friends. Here is this world. There are the animals. There are human beings. Thousands of miles above the animals, if I may put it that way. Endowed with reason and certain instincts. We'll go into that later. So much more complex and higher than the animals. There are human beings, and yet there's a world of sin and of chaos. There's been a fall and a curse put upon this world. Then why does God perpetuate it? If God is now angry from people who are alienated from him, and against him. Why is the world perpetuated? Says Christ, I am the reason. Because in eternity past it was determined between the members of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that the people in the world, millions of them, would be redeemed and brought to know God and saved for all eternity. So there'd be a new race in the eternal future, living purified and glorified with Christ forever. That's the teaching of the word of God. And so Christ came to make that possible, to suffer and to die, to make an atonement for us, to pay the price of sin for us, so that all this could come about. I am the reason only he could say it. I am the truth. I am the explanation. I created the world. When it fell, I sustain it for my purpose, for my future plan, for the redemption of Project Earth that glorified human beings will reign eternally with God. That's the teaching of the Bible. What is truth? Here's another definition of truth. Truth is everything that God does and reveals. That's a broader spiritual definition of truth. That includes everything. That was the old definition of truth until about halfway through the 19th century. What is truth? If you'd have asked that question in the street of a sophisticated town or in a rural community, the answer would have been, 
what God has revealed to be true. And that's what we must come back to. Truth is not just material things, but it's eternal and spiritual things also. Jesus saith, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He is the creator. He is the revealer. Christ was manifested. Incarnate God came into this world. He was prophesied. I've been mentioning this a lot in recent months. It's so significant. Don't forget, there is only one figure, one person in the whole of the history of mankind who has ever been in detail, over time, prophesied. If only people knew this. Here we are in this world, nobody has been prophesied to come and to exist and to do this and to do that and to be a certain kind of person. A few, yes, all related to Christ. John the Baptist was prophesied. Certain others were prophesied. But the one who was prophesied most of all, and this could be true of any culture, any so-called religion, only one person has been minutely and specifically and frequently over time and accurately prophesied. And that is Christ, the eternal Son of God. There's no one like him. And when he came, he was authenticated. Authenticated by his mighty miracles. So compassionate. Healing miracles, most of them. Others also over nature. To prove his deity, his divinity, and his power, and his kindness, and his character. He's demonstrated that. He's gone to Calvary's cross arrested in apparent weakness, suffered and died on Calvary, an invisible punishment over six hours, not just the cruelty of the wounds that he bore and the treatment he received, hanging on a cross, nailed through hands and feet, having been scourged till the wounds ran open, but bearing the eternal weight of punishment of sin due to all who would be saved, a secret inner torment, a whole eternity of separation from God that we should have borne, experienced by him in six hours, the substitutionary atoning death of Christ. There is no other event like that in all of history. And then, of course, he rose from the dead. And his resurrection is no better proved than in what happened afterwards. In the years immediately following the death and resurrection of Christ, the fact that he was now alive, but, of course, at the Father's right hand in glory, but nevertheless alive was demonstrated 
by the fact that he had transferred many of his very powers to his disciples. And the same signs and wonders that Christ performed was performed by them also as they preached about him and his death and resurrection. He is not dead. His works live on and did so for an entire generation to prove that he was exactly who he claimed to be, the saviour of the world. He is the truth. He is the revealer of all that is true, how much we need him. What are we giving our lives to, friends? Just the here and now? Just the material world? Tell me things that explain everything without God. Tell me things that ignore him and the soul and eternity. Is that our attitude? As tragic friends. The consequences are tragic also. We need him. You know, as you look at this text, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You ask the question, what is the truth about life? If Christ is the life, what is life? We've asked what is truth, what is life? Well, what is life? What life do you have? Think of the levels of life. Obviously, you have animal life. You are a living being. You have animal life. But you have more. You have reasoning life. You have the faculty of reason. You have an intellect. You have an imagination. That's wonderful. You have creativity. You can design and formulate and plan things. You have consciousness. These things are magnificent. You have reasoning life. You have even more. You have social life. You have the power of language. That's magnificent. What you can do with language, what you can express, communication. You have love, emotions. You have the family and friends and society, community. So you have social life, animal life, reasoning life, social life. What about spiritual life? Do you have spiritual life? Do you relate to God? Can you pray? Can you have some sense of his possessing you and having his hand upon you and belonging to him? And when you pray, do you have some assurance that you are heard and you have answers? Do you have spiritual experiences? 
God moves in your conscience and in your heart. You understand him and you understand his word. You've had an experience called conversion. One minute you didn't know God at all. And then you felt you desperately needed him. And you heard and you understood about sin and the great barrier between you and God, your guilt and your sin. And you repented of it and you heard of Christ. And as never before, you felt what he'd done to suffer and die for a person like you or to take away the burden and the penalty of sin. And you cried out to him. And if you'd have seen yourself at the time, you'd have said, what are you doing? You've never been like this. You've never behaved like this. You've never called upon God before. You've scorned him. But now it's different. I've got to find him. I've got to know him. I've got to feel his touch. He's got to help me. I need his forgiveness and his love. And I need to be changed. And I need to be set on the way to heaven and glory. And you feel these things. And you come to him. We call it conversion. And it's through this experience of coming to God that you know spiritual life. And you receive a new nature and a new heart and new aims and new affections. And you love him and walk with him. And now you fight against your sin. And you're given a great deal of power over it that you never had before. But you know you must resist it and live for him and for his glory. Do you have all those levels of life? Spiritual life. It's tragic not to have spiritual life. I went for years without spiritual life. And as a youngster, thought so highly of myself until the humbling hand of God came upon my life. And I saw myself as I really was, as a conceited fool falling short of God and scorning him. Oh, dear friends, how much we need spiritual life. The forgiveness of God and the hand of God upon us. Why are we so resistant to spiritual life? Why are we so programmed by this world, determined to shut out God? and to explain everything without him. Why are we human beings so obstinate, rebellious, and earthbound when God is kindness itself? He must be judge. If we die lost, we must be condemned for our sin. But he has provided everything for salvation. He's come himself, as it were, in the person of Christ. You know the teaching of the Bible, that there are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We cannot explain it adequately, humanly, but it's revealed to us. 
Three distinct, wonderful persons, equally God, equally eternal, equally possessing all the divine attributes, and Christ, second person of the Trinity, has come to be our Savior. Could God make a more costly provision that he, the eternal God, should come and be made man and suffer and die the penalty due to us? Why are we against him? Not to know spiritual life is to need all kinds of therapies. And we pursue them lifelong. If we don't have spiritual experience, you need various therapies to lift you up and to see you through. And everybody uses them. The therapy, for example, of possessing. Acquisitiveness. That's the therapy. They call it retail therapy sometimes. To have things. To have a bigger house or flat. To have a bigger, better car. To be somebody. To possess. To possess. To possess. To desire. To need. To have. To stretch out for things. It's a therapy. Of course, there's so many things we do need. And it's legitimate to enjoy things, but to depend upon things for a lift, for a meaning, for a purpose, because there's a void within and we don't have spiritual life. It's a therapy. Ambition. Up to a point, you could say ambition is wholesome. But ambition... To be somebody, to be special, to have fame or notice, to be flattered or approved of. And you know there are thousands of people go about and the uppermost thing in their mind every day is, what will people think of me? How will I look? How do I come across? It's a therapy for poor lost people who have no spiritual life and need something else to build them up. There are various therapies, an ideology, a passion for some interest or pursuit can just be a piece of personal therapy, good up to a point, but just a therapy because I've got an empty soul. Intoxicants for some people, drink and drugs and entertainment, by the cartload. They're all therapies, ultimately. Measure, sign. For empty people. I hope this isn't offensive to your friends. How much we need spiritual life. The loving kindness of the Lord. Forgiveness of sin. New heart and a new nature. Union and communion with God. Answered prayer. A destiny throughout the everlasting ages, wonderful beyond description. What is truth? I am the truth, says Christ. We need him 
to come to him, to find him, to walk with him, to have him. That's the truth. Let's pray together. O God, our gracious Heavenly Father, look upon us all. Deal graciously with us. Draw us out to thyself. Save souls, O Lord. Reshape and help us. Grant us those blessings we could never earn and never deserve. By grace alone, have mercy upon us all. May we know and find thy forgiving love and all the blessings of salvation. We ask it in the name of Christ, the only Saviour, for his sake. Amen.